I'm Claire Liu, and I'm the CEO of Know Your Team. We make software that helps leaders avoid becoming a bad boss. And on today's episode of The Heartbeat, I have a guest who I have literally been looking forward to having on this show all year. So I have Jerry Colonna, who is an, ah, what's the right word? Famed, notorious, I don't know. I've, I've heard notorious your name so much, RBG. <laughs> something, I think so. Something like that, right? Uh, but as an executive coach, and uh, you run your own executive coaching practice uh, called Reboot. Uh, most recently, you published a book by the same name, uh, Reboot, and it's on the uh, on leadership and the art of growing up. And I couldn't put this book down. There's so much to to get into on this. And then it's so funny. I have so many folks who've actually either been on the podcast, CEOs and executives who've talked about this book with me um, or, 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 or the audio book. And so just really, yeah, there's so much to respond to and to, and to get into with you there. But uh, prior to to you being a quote-unquote CEO whisperer, you were at one point an executive yourself, but have spent most of your career as a venture capitalist. So you founded Flatiron Partners, uh, which, uh, I mean, for anyone who's in the tech industry, <laughs> obviously knows a Flatiron. And then also you are a partner at uh, J.P. Morgan's private equity branch. So they're, they're, um, yeah, their PE part, uh, JP Morgan Chase. But I'm, yeah, I'm honored to have you here, Jerry, and to kick things off with this question. Well, that I've before been we go to the question, leaders, can I just say thank you for having me on? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's really an you honor. Bet. And, and I appreciate the work that you're doing in the world. It's important. Thank you. That means, that means a lot to me. Thank you. All right, drum roll to the question. So you don't know what the question is, but this is a question that I've been asking, yeah, for the past two and a half years to leaders who I, I respect. And it's what's one thing, or it could be a few things, that you wish you would have learned earlier as a leader? It's a beautiful question, and it's, uh, it's one that I have an answer to right away. Oh, all right. And that Let's is that you're not alone. One of the hardest things about being a leader is uh, really stems from the sense of isolation and the fact that I'm going to badly quote Shakespeare. Okay. <laughs> I won't know the difference. Okay. <laughs> but in one of the histories, Henry V, Prince Hal, who in Henry IV um, is kind of a ne'er do well character who's just like totally irresponsible. He, in Henry V, his father dies suddenly, and he's thrust into a leadership position. He's mm. king, and he's immediately challenged by the prince, the Dauphin of France. And um, France moves troops into Calais, which is on the other side of the channel, and Henry has to raise an army and go defend English territory. And um, the night before the Battle of Agincourt, where uh, it's very clear that the English soldiers are outnumbered 10,000 to one. They're always outnumbered mm. 10,000 to one. Yeah. Henry is walking through the camp, and he and uh, in a soliloquy, he says, among other things, upon the king, let us our lives, our debts, our souls lay upon the king. Mm. Oh, hard condition, we must bear all. I think one of the hardest things is the sense that it's all on our shoulders. Mm. And when we believe that we are alone, yes, 
we wake up at three o'clock in the morning spinning. Yeah. <laughs> when we believe we're alone, we believe the stories that our minds tell us. You know, my infamous, somewhat cuss-filled statement comes to mind, which is just because you feel like shit doesn't mean you are shit. And yep. if I had only known that I was not the only one, the burden on my shoulders would be a little bit lighter. Whew. Jerry, you, I think, have touched on, I don't know, maybe the most existential <laughs> question for us as humans. Like, I know this podcast is all about leadership, but what it, what it honestly brings my mind to, it's actually, I think, the biggest thing I've actually personally changed my mind on the past few years, five years, which is uh, I used to think that uh, people are inherently islands. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie About a Boy. Mm -hmm. and there's like that opening montage with Hugh Grant and he, I think he's quoting someone about, you know, every man's an island. Mm -hmm. And, you know, through a lot of variety of, you know, growing up and being sort of the, the loner, the odd person out a lot of the times, like feeling like, yeah, like... Mm -hmm. You can't really depend on anyone and oh, my situation is so different than anyone else. No one really gets it. No one really gets me, right? And uh, and then a shift to growing up and realizing actually the thing that makes us fundamentally human is our ability to connect and to have shared experience. And that's in fact what makes whatever suffering or whatever pain or confusion or uncertainty bearable yeah. and in fact beautiful is the shared element in that. So I, I receive that mm. beyond the scope of just the day-to-day -day of running a team and feeling like, oh, yeah, no, it's not just, you know, when I'm stressed and running my, you know, running near your team as the CEO that, yeah, no, I know I'm not alone and my team's here and, and uh, you know, I've got peers and other co-founders, et cetera, who, who feel the same thing, but actually broader in life of we're all in this. We are all not alone. Yeah, we're all in the lifeboats, aren't we? We sure are. Together. We sure are. I would add that the fact that it triggers existential questions, it's not an accident. Yeah. The reason the subtitle of the book is Leadership and the Art of Growing Up, the reason is that the process of becoming a better human, the process of becoming a, a better adult or the adult that we were born to be is hard and painful. And as I often say, it's why most people choose not to grow. Yeah. Because it sucks. And what is beautiful about that relationship between the leadership challenges and the, and the existential feelings that, that you noted mm -hmm. is that we can use those challenges to complete that process. Hmm. So it doesn't surprise me, for example, that you said that you've changed. Yes. If it would be okay, I might suggest an additional word to that verb changed, the word grow. Yes. So I've grown in the last five years. And in that growth, I've come to realize that community matters. It's everything. Yeah. I'm an introvert and I want to honor all the introverts out there because yay. Introvert. I am as well. <laughs> yay. well. Not surprising. <laughs> exactly right. Because I am imagining now, now I'm projecting onto you. So reject mm. it if it's wrong, no. that you enjoy the one-to-one. -one. Yes. Right? It's where I thrive. It's yep. where we thrive. And so can we be in the lifeboat together where we look across the lifeboat and, and Jerry says to Claire, hey, you okay? 
Yeah. And Claire says, yeah, I'm okay. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Whew. That was some rough seas, eh? Yeah, rough seas. And we're okay together. Let's, let's, let's go be okay together. Hmm. You got me going with your question, so. <laughs> I, I mean, the questions you pose in this book alone got me going. So I'm, uh, it's a, it's symbiotic here. What, um, or what I, what I was so curious about in Annie also hearing your response is having faced that learning or sort of noticed it, observed it and been like, Oh, got it. How do you sort of keep that with you amidst all the changes in seasons and times and the flux of busy conflict, competing priorities? How do you not relapse or sort of recede into that shell admits how dynamic life is? That's the thing that I'm always curious about is we learn lessons as leaders. We say things that, or even people tell me things where I'm like, oh yeah, oh, totally, right? Lead from the front, show empathy, be honest. And the translation into action day in, day out that always, I think, you know, you, you put a magnifying glass up to it and I don't know how, you know, how closely am I, am I living that out? How closely are others living that out? I, I, I'm always very curious as to how lessons can be internalized over time or if there are ways you sort of lock that in mm-hmm. for yourself. So, and then also for, I mean, you work with so many leaders as well, like helping them, right? Like when they leave their session with you, Jerry, like how do they, how do they sort of keep that with them? I'm going to answer the question, I promise. But first, I'm going to go to a different place. The first thing I'm going to note is, I can't help but sort of take this stance. Yeah. So I'm imagining that that question comes from a heart place yourself. Yes. And I'm imagining that Claire, at some point in her life, heard something, was moved by it, a bit of wisdom, tried to put it into practice, on a daily basis, forgot it. Yeah. And then the magic moment comes of remembering that you forgot it. Yep. Now at that critical moment, what does the inner voice that is always judging Claire say to Claire? That moment, what does that voice say to you? You should have remembered. Okay. So... How did you forget, right? What is wrong with you? Oh, I'm going to go one step further. <laughs> yeah. You think you're going to talk about leadership? Mm-hmm. You can't even, right? You hear it? Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so notice in your body how the feeling is coming up. Mm. Okay. I'm going to project a little bit. Go for it. Uh, were you a high achiever in school? Yes. Always getting the right A's? Always, Always. Fig- figured out early on how to get the A's. Okay. Always. So, so notice all of that. Okay. Because there's a very tight correlation between high mm. achievers and imposter syndrome. Yes. Okay. And imposter syndrome is one of the names for it. In the book, I talk about the crow who sits on your shoulder. Right. Yeah. So if you remember from the chapter on the crow, one of the th- very, very important things to, to acknowledge when that voice comes in, and I hear that voice in the, what's wrong with you? How did you forget this? Mm. Okay. One of the important things to remember is that that voice is trying to keep you safe. Hmm. Even though it makes you feel like shit. Yes. Okay. So we blow it a kiss. 
we say thank you very much. Right. I don't really need the reminder that I forgot. <laughs> okay. Yep. And we let that go. So that's mm. step one. Now I want to respond to the question, the annoying question, which is really about the art of growing up, which is really about the art of transformation. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a really important and powerful word I would offer in response, and that is practice. Okay. It's why I call it the art and not the science of growing up. Mm-hmm. You will gain insight throughout your life, and every single day you will forget. Every single day. Yes. Because you're human, no matter how many A's you got. And the question to hold on to is, what do we do when we remember that we have forgotten? Right. Do we then pile on and beat ourselves up? Or do we say, wow, isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. And see, the thing about transformation, the thing about the art of growing up, the thing about learning and growth is it takes time. Absolutely. And repetition. Yes. And that's the practice piece of it, right? Um, I have a sitting meditation practice. Someday I won't need to practice anymore. I'll be dead. <laughs> right. I was like, maybe. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right? Because, because the goal is the coming back to. Yes. You know, in Buddhism, one it's of the revisiting. Bu- that's yeah. right. One of the most important teachings is that and, and the sutra goes something like this. If you spend twenty minutes intending to meditate, or you sit down for twenty minutes of intentional meditation and you f- and you find that for the first nineteen minutes your mind has been wandering, ruminating, spinning mm. about the future. Yeah. But wake up in that last minute. Congratulations. You've had a very successful meditation session because you woke up. Exactly. So the short answer to your question is to remember that it's all a practice and to remember that the practice is coming back to the insight. Not always focused on the insight all over again and again and again and again. I so appreciate it that response. Mm. First of all, you absolutely nailed why I asked that question, right? Personally, it's something I think a lot about because I think congruence for us as humans, it's the way we sort of, we conflate it with integrity. And when we think about sense of self and trying to form a narrative for ourselves that feels right, Mm. that alignment is always extremely important, right? So I always think a lot about, well, how how well is what I'm saying matching what I'm doing? And then with the leaders that we work with, whether it's in workshops or, you know, I run a lot of in-person training sessions through our software. I do, you know, hundreds of interviews like this. It's a thing that comes up for a lot of other leaders too. It's like, I know this. Like if you catch me at a calm emotional state, centered emotional state. Like I know this and it is forgotten. So, and and what is so amazing about what you shared is, is the, 
almost like what is uh, what is most salient about that isn't the fact that you have to put in all this effort to try to remember all the time or internalize it somehow all the time. Because one, that's impossible. Mm-hmm. So I just love the acknowledgement like that's impossible. Mm-hmm. But two is the fact that the actual value of that process is how you choose to show up when that happens. Mm-hmm. How do you choose to show up when you forget? Mm-hmm. Are you hard on yourself? Do you pile on, right? Mm-hmm. Or do you or do you take off? Do you go, do you get cu- curious about mm-hmm. your experience instead of judgmental? And yeah, I love that. Studies have shown again and again that positive reinforcement is the path to true transformational learning. That wrapping the dog on the nose when it pees on the carpet does not teach it to not pee on the carpet. Exactly. Right? And so the same thing happens for our own mind and our relationship with our own mind. Mm. Wrapping ourselves on the nose is not going to teach us not to forget. Yeah. It's just going to exacerbate the reason we forgot in the first place, which is oftentimes a distraction, a reversion to our our lesser self, our our lesser angels of our nature. Mm-hmm. Can I bring us back to one of the first points that we I spoke love about? you too. Yes, please. There is an opportunity mm. in that space where the the insight that was gained has been forgotten and now remembered it that it was forgotten, and that opportunity is to give permission to the community around you. To say with love and grace, hey, Claire, you forgot. Yes. Right? Uh, the brilliant poet and inspiration for me, the late John O'Donoghue. Ah, oh, so good. Has a wonderful He's poem called For a Leader. Mm. And in it is one of my favorite lines, which is, may, uh, may you be surrounded by good friends who mirror your blind spots. Yes. Right? And so – one of the reasons community is so important is to help us remember that we're not alone. But another reason community is so important, especially in our organizations, is to empower our organizations, empower the people around us to say, hey, we forgot. Exactly. With that kind of whispered love. Hmm, I love that. Whispered love. Yeah. You know? I know your heart and I know your intention. Right. And so even when you get crosswise with your own intention, mm. I get to stand shoulder to shoulder with you and say, Claire, I think you dropped something. Yeah. That's all. Yes. As I sort of like dig through my own tendencies of why is it so hard to quiet the crow, right? Why is it so hard to have that voice be a whispered love Mm. of a voice versus a critical, demanding, you should, why didn't, right? And and you talk about this a bit in your book, Mm -hmm. which is we as leaders, or maybe I'll just speak for myself, I know I have a tendency to do this, we so fuse our sense of self mm-hmm. with the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so poor, quote unquote, performance, whatever that even means in the job, mm. or not doing something that you would see is, is the right things to do on the job, cuts at the value that we see ourselves as people. 
Yeah. And for me, I, fi- I find that to be, I find that to be, I'm, cu- I'm curious, when, you know, with whether it's, you know, your own process of mm-hmm. remembering, forgetting and remembering, forgetting and remembering, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then working with all the leaders. Do you, do you see that as, as yeah. true? Or are there other, other currents that pull stronger, do you think? Uh, yeah. I would just love to dive into that. Like, I think that conflation of identity and work is just like, it's always an interesting one. Yeah. So you're linking two important concepts and you're showing you're, you're experiencing a cause and effect that's powerful. And I believe is true. No. Your first question is why is it so hard to quiet the crow? Yeah. And the second observation is that perhaps it's so hard because the merger of existential identity with the endeavor. Exactly. And by the way, this is true for everyone in all positions, whether it's true. You know, William James said, and I'm paraphrasing him, that it is not failure that defeats us or annihilates us, but it's when we attach our sense of self-worth and meaning to accomplishment of the goal and then fail to achieve the goal that we are annihilated, right? And so two things I would say, in addition to the merger of sense of self as a reason for the crow, and and, and so let me speak about that for a moment. Mm. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to call you out again. So Place. one of the things about high achievers yes. is that we very early on begin to get external affirmation of our self-worth. Yes. Right. And so we know we did well when mommy or daddy hangs our spelling test on the refrigerator. Yeah. Everyone tells us we're good. Exactly. Everyone so, tells, impressive. so impressive. Oh, that's so great. And, and it, it, it is, it, as a parent, I will tell you, it comes from a loving space. It comes from a pride-filled space. But there's a negative undertone to it that can come across as I'm only lovable if I get the 100 on the spelling test. And then we live in this comparison world, Mm. social media, Mm -hmm. which is relentless. (laughs) And so perhaps this was true for you at 21 or not, but I have some very close personal people in my life who spent some of their years in college saying that they're going to win a Nobel and that one's going to get, and, and this is constant, right? And so that's one of the reasons why. So it's, it's that merger of accomplishment. It's the, mm-hmm. I, and for entrepreneurial leaders, it's the merger of the entire entrepreneurial endeavor with self, Yes. right? Yes. I can, as a coach, I'm always on alert. My ears prick up. When someone says, it's my baby. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> no. Okay. Babies are babies. That's what babies right. are. Right. Okay. So there's that. Yes. But there's another more insidious and really confusing reason why it's hard. Mm. And that is, goes back to the first one of the first things I said about that voice. That voice is there to keep you safe. It has been there since your earliest days. Right. So when we sit and we start to notice that we have this constant internal dialogue with ourselves, constantly Mm -hmm. judging ourselves, which again, I named as the crow, the first impulse is to try to beat the crap out of the crow. Get it to shut up. Shut up. Yeah. Problem is trying to shut off parts of ourselves, or there's a great line, which is, 
turning off those parts of ourselves is like trying to get rid of a headache by chopping off your head. Oh, yeah, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and so what you really want to get to is a place where you understand the benefit that that voice is. And in your case, for example, that voice did help you achieve. Mm -hmm. That voice did put you in that seat on the other side of that podcast microphone, having a dialogue with someone else about issues that are really important to you. Sure. So thanks. But the, the jujitsu move to make is, but I don't need you anymore. Right. Because I'm an adult. And I got this. I'll take it from here. Yes. I love you, but please stand down. Right. Does that make any sense? Oh, absolutely. It's the difference uh, between, you know, listening and obeying, right? It's the difference between understanding and internalizing. Like you can hear it, you can see it. You know, there's some book I read that made an analogy of thoughts being, um, you know, you can see the trains going past. You don't have to get on the trains, right? That's a, that's a Pema Chodron teaching. That's who, who taught it to me. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. Buddhist nun Pema Chodron. She's the best. Yeah. Her writing is amazing. Teaches yep. uh, to see our thoughts as trains pulling into the station exactly. and then we wave the goodbye when the train pulls. There we go. The it's definitely Pema then. She's, she's, I mean, yeah, it's revelatory. I, I, um, or one, one thing I'm curious to, to maybe I'll hold up a mirror to you, Jerry. How about that during this conversation? What has been the hardest thing for you to, or the thing that you actually rather you forget the most and come back to the most and you have the hardest time sort of quieting that crow? There are a lot. And thank you for that question. It, it, it's really uh, helpful for me. But it happened earlier this week. Mm. As I've been describing it lately, one of the complexities of my childhood resulted in a structure I referred to as good boy, bad boy. Mm. And uh, there's oftentimes a, a wish to be the good boy, which means that the threat is to be the bad boy. And it was actually just this past weekend I was doing some solo camping, uh, well, with, a, with one friend, but, but a lot of solo time. And I realized that, you know, in chapter nine of the book, I open up by recalling myself musing on the question of, am I a good man? Hmm. Have I been a good father? Have I been yeah. a good partner? Ha am I a good CEO? Am I a good man? Because I identify as male. And I realized this weekend that that is just a grown-up version of that early setup, which is to wonder if I am worthy of love. Yeah. Because in order to be worthy of love, safety, and belonging, I must be good. You must be good, right. It's not inherent. It's It's, it's not earned. inherent, right. Well, that's the belief system. That's right. the belief system. Which exactly. That's the mental model. Right. That's the mental model. It's wrong. It's completely right. contrary to the teachings of the Buddha. Right. Right. So you asked, what is it that I forget that I need to remember all the time? Yes. It's that I can live beyond the good boy, bad boy setup. Mm. You know, lately I've been thinking a lot about the next book and hmm. that may be part of what I'm playing with is the, is the notion yeah. of what exists beyond that construct? Yes. Right? 
to me, it, um, it recall, and you know, we have a tendency to do this when we're interviewing people. I'm, I, or for myself, right? It's we, we immediately, or I immediately think, oh, what am I, you know, what do I see myself in, in, in hearing that, which is, uh, goes back to something you mentioned about this, this seeking for approval, mm-hmm. right? Like anytime we try to assert value or define how good am I that, or am I being valued? It's a subconscious, seeking for for approval. And so a thing I try to ask myself, and I'm curious if you do this, a version of this for yourself or for your clients, is I ask, who am I trying to impress right now? Sure. Like, let's get real. Like, who's, what's, like, I'll, who, I'll, who, I'll, I'll, I'll give right? you something that I was, I was t- yeah. taught by one of my coaching instructors early on. Mm-hmm. And it produced a lot of shame. Mm. It's what I refer to as a cringeworthy moment. Okay. And cringeworthy <laughs> moments are great moments of learning. And it was very, very early on in my coaching career. And as part of the coach certification process, I had to record sessions with the client's permission and then play them back at, with a with a senior coach, with a master coach, and talk about what was going on. And a lot of times, uh, Martha, this coach, Martha Leslie, would say, okay, what's going on right there? What, 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 what are you doing right there? And she gave me um, a tool which I, I used for a long time and probably should get back to it, which was she made me write on a sticky note uh, the acronym W-A-I-T, okay. WAIT. Hmm. And what it stands for is, why am I talking? <laughs> <laughs> I think that I need that everywhere in, in my little home office here. My goodness. Yeah. That is, uh, yeah. 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 One of the many things I love about that is there's a, a sharp, effective, loving humor in it, which is the yeah. best way I learn. Yes. Like, oh, yeah, I should ask a question and shut up. <laughs> as a leader and as yep. a coach. Absolutely. It's, it's so funny. So we run, we run workshops and, and trainings on, um, receiving feedback well. And one of the hardest pieces of the framework that we offer is talking less. Mm. It's so hard. It's so hard. Mm. We, we feel like we have so much to say <laughs> and mm. to justify and to work through and to process. And it is so, so hard. On the topic of questions though, Jerry, I was very intrigued to know What's been the hardest question that you've had to ask yourself? Or what is a question that you always come back to sort of as a self-check? The, the question that really began changing my life mm. was how have I been complicit in creating the conditions I say I don't want? I heard you share that, I think, on Tim Ferriss' podcast. Yeah. yeah that, I mean, when my psychoanalyst started teaching me the underlying belief systems behind that and yes. the structures. It was like I took the blue pill and saw the matrix. Mm. Right. Holy fucking shit. I've created this whole world. Yeah. What did you see? Yeah. The truth is every single day I forget that the stories I'm telling myself are in fact stories. But when I remember it's usually after I, I've had an, an opportunity to be able to turn around and go, okay, what's my part in this? Not, why does this always happen to me? Mm -hmm. 
Or why can't I figure it out? What am, why, why, am yeah. I, why am I messing this up so bad? Yeah, yeah you, you hear that crow? Mm-hmm. It's relentless. Right. The choice of word for complicit in that question, right? How am I complicit in the conditions that I may, may not want to have? Tell me about why that word in particular is so helpful in asking this question. Why not, you know, how, why am I, how have I not caused this? Or what am I doing to cause this? Or what am I doing to contribute to this? Or how, like, there's a lot of words you could use instead. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for asking for that clarity. I like the word complicit because we're accomplices in our lives. Hmm. We are not uh, the sole actor. See, part of what the crow does is it either denies our agency or attributes all problems to us. <laughs> and the truth is not is neither of those. Exactly. Right? We have agency and we're not 100% responsible, right? But we live in a very childlike black and white world mm. where either we're entirely the victim or entirely the perpetrator. Yes. Neither is true. Yes. Right? So complicitness means I am going along with the act. I'm the driver of the getaway car and the bank robbery. I'm not walking in with the gun. Okay. So I'm an accomplice. That's important because when we start doing that inquiry process, one of the first things the crow will do to protect itself is to start telling ourselves what a jerk we are for having belief systems in the first place. Yes. Right. And so that's why that word complicit is really important because it, it sort of breaks the bond of that. Yes. Now, the second half of that, the, the, the words are, are, are important. The words, I, the way I frame it is I say I don't want these conditions. Now, what I'm trying to do there with that part of the question is to make a distinction between what I say out into the world at large and what's really going on inside of me. Mm-hmm. What you actually want. Oh. I say I don't want to be so busy, but boy, does it feel good to feel like so responsible for everything. Yeah. Important, valued, needed. Value, especially if I get my value from external circumstances, I'm exactly. gonna be, I'm, my calendar is going to be filled. Yeah. Right. And so by making that distinction, I hope to encourage an acknowledgement that we are often uh, subject to uh, multiple different motivations and intentions mm-hmm. because we're complex human beings. Yes. And so that's why those words are so important. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. That is such a powerful, powerful question. Mm. It's one I know that I'll be be walking away asking myself. I also was thinking this is a little bit sort of it's related, but maybe maybe shifting gears a bit. Is I've always found it really interesting in you know studying leadership now for you know this past ten years, and there's so many different frameworks and models that people use. And then you know you also sort of can look at more. I guess how would you describe it? Whether it's religion or other sort of more formal philosophies around life. And I always found it very interesting that some of the most popular 
takes on how you best lead is about the reduction of ego and sense of self. Mm -hmm. And to be a good leader, you need to be thinking about everybody but yourself. You need to be in service of something. Uh, you know, Buddhism in particular is all about, you know, reduction and separation of, of that, you know, yourself from that sense of self. Um, and, uh, what I find so interesting about that is that it directly conflicts uh, a lot of times what seems like the reality of the way we're supposed to do our jobs as leaders, How so? which is that we have to have answers, that people look to us for direction, that even our sense of self in some ways defines a company or a brand or even sets what value should be for a team just by what we personally value. And so... I was, I've always been curious about that tension of sort of the philosophical notion of, okay, separating sense of self or making sense of self smaller. And, and then just also this noticing of like how many problems emerge from tying sense of self so tightly to the role that you do. Mm. And I just wanted to riff on it with you and, and sort of pick it apart. Do you, do you see a similar tension in the day to day of the things that are required of us as leaders? sort of demanding that we show up as very cemented in our sense of selves and putting that forward? Do you even believe that sort of a separation of that sense of self or reducing ego is sort of a path to go to, to, to becoming a better leader, better person, human? Wanted to, yeah, just poke on that, that concept with you. So here again, I promise to come back with a direct answer, but I can't help myself. <laughs> I love it. I love the, let's do it. I'm going to reflect two words that I heard. Mm, yes. Or two phrases. Required of us. Yes. Demanded of us. Who's doing the demanding and who's doing the requiring? Mm. Who requires that you have all the answers? I'm asking probably me. directly. Oh. Yeah, probably myself. Yeah. Okay. So yep. let's just pause here for a moment. Mm-hmm. The basic premise of your question is the observation that there is a mental model around leadership, which is that a leader is the one who has all the answers. Mm -hmm. And immediately, in relating that observation, you externalized it. Yes. Other people expect this of me. Right. I love that observation. Yes. Okay. And then when I poked at it, you immediately went to, oh, actually, it's internalized. Now, mm. it's an internalized belief system that you, you weren't born with it. You learned it. Exactly. Right? So, so there is a belief system in our society that the one with all the answers gets all the toys. Mm -hmm. The one with all the answers gets the A in class. Oh, high achiever again. Here we go. Now. You're linking that in your question to this question of the diminution of ego. Now, mm -hmm. there is no getting rid of ego. None. None. Right. Even His Holiness Dalai Lama has an ego. Right. I mean, it's the way we make sense of the world, right? And His relationship to the ego is different than yours or mine. Right. But he has an ego. Right. Okay. He happens to have a very funny and humorous relationship with his ego. He can laugh at his ego, but there's no getting rid, rid of the ego or the self or any of that. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a charlatan's game. Hmm. It doesn't exist. When we pursue that, 
and we fail, we give energy to the crow who tells us what a jerk we are. Right. Okay. So let's put that to the side for a moment. Now, when a leader of an organization takes the position that they're supposed to have all of the answers, they are inadvertently using the organization to assuage their internal inner critic. Yes. Okay. And there is nothing that someone who has positional or role power, there's no worse damage that a person of positional power can do than to inadvertently, unconsciously use the organization to deal with their own demons. Exactly. Okay. And so we have to question that first assumption, which is that the, that the, the person who has all of the power needs to have all the answers. Now, let's just get really pragmatic about that. Mm. I can't see a faster obstacle or a deeper obstacle to scaling in an organization than that belief system. I would agree. So what Peter Drucker yes. says is that the, the leader is best who asks questions. Warren Bennis says a leader's job is to ask questions. Yes. Right. Open, honest questions, not setups. Well, have you given thought to doing X, Y, and Z? <laughs> That's not an open, honest question. No, leading, yes. Leading. Directive, yeah, it's a directive question. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. So the, the real work is to go at the internalized belief system and realize that my job as a leader is to encourage the development of people who can answer my questions. And my job is to actually ask curious, open, honest questions from places that people may not have even seen because I'm using my open, holistic perspective to try Mm -hmm. to see things that others may not be seeing. Absolutely. In many ways, it's why, to tie back to what we touched on earlier, Jerry, is um, it's why that word complicit, I think, is so important is because pretty much everything we've identified as external problems or situations we need to figure out, it is a, as you mentioned, a externalization of something internally we're trying to figure out for ourselves. And so the complicit is unknowing, it's unintentional, Mm -hmm. but it's contributing without even realizing that it's there. Mm-hmm. And I know that this is what your entire coaching philosophy is based on. So the book talk, talks about, right? This radical self-inquiry is mm-hmm. the only way we mm-hmm. we get past that. Mm-hmm. If everything that we see as problems is an externalization of the things that are going on inside, then how do we ask the right questions mm-hmm. to figure out what's going on? Mm-hmm. And the tool we use is to always ask ourselves those questions. And, you know, here again... Mm-hmm. we will forget this a thousand times a day. Yep. And then we come back to it. Practice. Practice. Mm. Well, Jerry, I can't tell you how formative even this you know, short 40-some minutes has been mm. in helping me practice that the process of forgetting is, in fact, the process. That's the work. That's, and it's the reward mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is to go through that. Mm-hmm. Someone had had told me um, recently about how they had learned that, well, when I am away from my company Mm -hmm. and I'm focusing on myself and maybe seeing an executive coach or 
working out or go, you know, going on my runs or going to yoga, doing things that invest in myself. I, you know, I used to think that's about, oh, okay, getting time away from the business, getting time away from all the things so that I can show up and then be super on, on my day to day. And he realized he was talking to, I think a mentor of his and he's like, no, Claire, it's actually, it's completely flipped. Mm-hmm. So the time that I am actually giving back to my team, giving back to my organization, my company, it's when I'm actually by myself. It's when mm-hmm. I'm focused on myself and asking those hard questions and doing, taking the rest and the time and the breaks to recalibrate and reflect. Mm-hmm. And the times that I'm receiving, mm-hmm. the times I'm actually feeling and getting something is actually when I'm with my team. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what I'm receiving. I'm mm-hmm. giving when I'm by myself and I'm receiving when I'm with my team, like instead of the other way around. I, I, that I found structure. that structure. Yeah. And that was a really powerful reframe for me in thinking about how whatever problems that I'm facing, to your point, right, they are versions of things I'm trying to figure out for myself. And that the ways that I actually can give and show up is, um, yeah, when I've let those go mm-hmm. and show mm-hmm. up with more space. Well, so thank you. You're welcome. And, and you know, in closing, I, I would just encourage that, you know, reiterate something I said before, which is that. Mm-hmm. Those of us who are privileged to have power have a moral and ethical responsibility to be vigilant about the ways in which our nonsense hurts other people. Yeah. And the more power you have, the more responsibility you have. As Peter Parker's Spider-Man's uncle said, with great power comes great responsibility. I was just about to say there's a reason uh, Stanley sort of right. immortalized that. It's because uh, it's, it's true. It's true. But here's, here's, here's what I find refreshing, though, about this, Jerry, which is that we have the answers then, right? Amen. They're all here. Right in here somewhere, right? Like it's not some unsolvable and fathomable thing that we have to go out and go on some long trek to figure out. It's like, actually, no, it's some commitment to, to wanting to figure out what those answers are. It's to asking the right questions, being vigilant about asking them and then doing the work and practicing. It's doing the work. Yeah. It's doing the work. Um, uh, you know, there's a line I use in the book, which uh, comes from something one of the, the folks who came to one of our leadership retreats said, which is, you mean there's no playbook? It's like, nope. I mean, there are plenty of people who write playbooks. Oh, yeah. I'm, but really. I don't think that's how life works. No. The, amen. <laughs> it's not how life works. Thank you for, for helping me, for helping so many others who are listening to this podcast feel like, all right, we are not alone in this whole thing called life. You got it. It was a pleasure to to be on, and thank you for such thought-provoking and fun questions. You bet.